What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello. This is the Brickflix Fryfest preview series 2019. The Brickflix podcast comes absolutely free. So can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page, or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen, and please rate and review us. You can just rate us. They all have star meters, which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all. Just click on it and you're done, and it'd be really helpful, trust me. The higher the star meter, the more reviews we get, the more ratings we get, the more the Britflix.com podcast goes up the charts. Please, please, please. Come on, I'm begging you now. Everyone listening, Go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or Spotify pages, type Britflix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time in your hands, why not review us as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright and this is the Frightfest 2019 preview series. This episode's guest is Josh Lobo. Hello. Hello, how's it, how's it going? It's all right, it's all right. I'm sat in um, the the humid, stroke, damp heat of East London. Whereabouts am I talking to you? Uh, I, li- I live in Wyoming, mm-hmm. in, in the state states, which is just kind of in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> is that a flyover bit? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of. It's, I mean, it's... Funny enough, it's like it's one of the biggest states, yeah. but it uh, there's there's no one here. You know, the population has is like three hundred thousand people. Wow. It's uh, yeah, I, I love it. I just love that, you know, I can dr- I can drive for fifteen minutes and not even see a house. Your film, I Trapped the Devil. You wrote and directed it. Um, yes. So and that's playing at Fright Fest. We'll put details in the show notes as to when and how and tickets and the like, but to tempt people to go watch it, do you want to give the audience a brief synopsis as to what I Trap the Devil's all about? 
basically I, I trap the devil is a um a husband and, and his wife uh it's christmas eve and they're traveling to basically spend it with the husband's estranged brother who's had kind of um a traumatic a traumatic event take place in his life and when they when they get there um he has you know he's basically boarded up the house you know he's acting out of sorts and you know upon kind of further investigation they find that he's uh he's kidnapped an an innocent man maybe and uh he believes that this person is the devil himself and that by trapping the devil um it basically is kind of putting a cap on all of the world's evils i'm celebrating 20 years of fright fest uh, as it's 20 years as it's the 20th uh, fright fest this year and i'm asking guests to give me a memory or an event or significant thing from their own 20th year that sticks out in their mind. So for you, Josh, what is it? Um, for my, my 20th year, Hmm. uh, I, in my 20th year, I lived, I lived in Los Angeles. Okay. And, um, I, I, oh no, actually, uh, on my 20th year, I shot my first feature film, which, um, which didn't really it didn't really pan out. It was it was uh, overly ambitious and um, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a crazy story. Uh, cool. We made this move we made this movie and it um you know the movie didn't the movie didn't really work. But um, does the movie have a name? Know, I, does the movie have a name? I can't see the yeah, record it, of it. You'll know it. It was ne- it was never released. That's that's part of the story. Okay. So it was called Pine Springs and it yeah. was kind of like. It was kind of like, you know, Twin Peaks meets The Wicker Man, like folk horror mystery. And um, we we filmed it and, you know, it, it just didn't really work because I just wasn't 100% sure what I was doing. But we had um, the cinematographer for the movie. He uh, he ended up – he basically did it for like a flat rate and, and then ended up like towards the end of the movie just deciding that he like wanted to be paid more and wow. basically like – took the footage hostage per kind of wow like he basically just yeah he just like ran off with it and uh basically was like demanding more money and so uh we 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 just kept trying to find him for all over but i guess the i it was like something like the irs found him and he had like a ton of debt and they basically like confiscated everything that he owned blimey <laughs> like inclu- including the film footage which yeah, is yeah, just like yeah. which is like i have like i have like maybe half the footage from the movie mm-hmm. but yeah like it, it can never be assembled because somewhere in a you know in like a well i guess wherever the collection department takes their stuff is this is this movie so it's a weird weird story but looking so, through the, so is, that, um, is that saying then so so one day if funds allowed it and they could be accessed and released, and then the film could be assembled. Yeah, I would. I don't know if I would want it to. Um, <laughs> you know, I got. I have like half the footage, and I I tried to edit it and tried to piece it together, and it just it just wasn't great. And it was basically I just um, I jumped into like a like an overly ambitious movie yeah. with tons of locations and a, tons of characters, and um, for not a lot of money. And you know, it just. Yeah, it it's it, it was it was a great uh film school. 
No, no, I'm sure it was. So let's jump into your um, your film that is your first feature then now. Yeah. Officially yeah. speaking, I Trap the Devil, which you've <laughs> written and directed. So let's start Let's start at the beginning then. Um, what, what for you, for this really beautiful, for me, what was a really beautiful idea, because it's just... It just pivots on such a simple notion that everything else is about is about then the drama that, that follows that, that 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 premise. But so for you, where does it start? This idea that that then became a film. Where, where was the idea originally for you? Um. So it was kind of it was kind of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I um like yeah. So I, I was I was a big fan of the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. and I had seen uh, Richard Beaumont's The Howling Man, which right. I thought I thought was cool, but it's definitely of its time, you know, it's, it's castles and, and monks and things like that. And I, I just really, I always remember really liked the idea mm-hmm. and I, I had noticed in recent kind of recent years that, you know, a lot of films had sort of taken a seed of an idea from a twilight zone episode and then like spun it in their own direction. Yeah. And I, and I, I had really liked that idea but I, I wanted to do something that was a little bit more in line with kind of the movies that I love. Like I love John Carpenter, um, especially his film Prince of Darkness. Mm. And I love I love one of my favorite films is Rob Zombie's Lords of Salem. Okay, okay. Which I just I think is a masterpiece that people really don't. I I, I have notoriously like 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 skewed taste in films. All my favorite films are just like weird things that. You know, I, I don't feel like a lot of people give a lot of love to. Um, but Lords of Salem is like one of, I, th- I think it's just like one of the coolest movies ever made. And so I was like, okay, cool. Well, I have, you know, there's this idea about like trapping the devil that I think is, is very strong. Hmm. And then I, tried, I tried to filter it through um, just like this like presiding like like feeling of evil. And... Um, yeah, I was just I it, it, it was just kind of an amalgamation of everything. Um, I had been really into the kind of mumblecore movement. I'd I'd watched a lot of the like, you know, the like kind of rambling mumblecore movies, and I thought that was cool. And I, I liked the, the sort of like human aspect of it. And and I think the like one of the few, not one of the few people. There's a lot of them that are immensely successful right now. But um, one of the one of the kind of main champions that kind of moved into more uh commercial features was Adam Wingard and his film You're Next and I was obsessed with that and so it it was just all these things is like well you know I loved AJ and You're Next and you know I loved Chevy Chase's Chris, uh, Christmas Vacation and The Lords of Salem and and so basically I just like put all these things in a blender and whoop out came I trapped the devil so so in in the sense of um who the main the main characters as you've got like you've got the someone dealing with a traumatic event who is then visited by his estranged brother um what why was what was the importance for you in terms of sort of having that sort of tight family dynamic in terms of making this idea work um well i i i always i i, t- I spend a lot of time alone um just kind of of, of my own devices mm-hmm I just, you know, I, I write a lot or I'll go for bike rides or things. And so like, you know, spending time alone, if when something happens, you kind of just, you just kind of bury it, you know? Um, and so that was always, that was always me where, you know, if I just had like a, any sort of 
not so great, or I mean, even, you know, great life, life events, you know, I just kind of like deal with it myself. And a lot of times it take, it takes people like, you know, my, my girlfriend or my, my brother, or, you know, people to come and be like, Hey, you know, are you okay? You want to talk about this? So, uh, it's like, it's just a dynamic that I feel kind of personally drawn to. Mm. And, and I think that the holidays sort of amplify, um, people's emotions. So it was, it just seemed like the perfect setup. You know, you have this guy who is dealing with this incredible circumstance and he wants everyone to basically stay away while he deals with it on his own. And then all of a sudden, you know, here comes his family who, you know, he doesn't really want to see on Christmas because Christmas is kind of the duty dance. You know, you have to go and be with your, your significant other, not your significant other, but your, um, your family members. Mm. So it it just seemed like the perfect kind of chess move to like get them all together you know yeah and, and friends friends can't just drop in on people like a family member can and expect no. and expect to be received no and i and i think that um family members are the only ones that wouldn't just immediately leave um i think i think the family member like if my brother came to me and told me that he had done something sort of unspeakable Hmm. My first instinct wouldn't be to, I, I don't think my first instinct would be to call the cops. I think my first instinct would be to try to help him in any way that I could. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I just, I just don't think that they would call the police. I think that they would look for an avenue to help their the person that they care about. No, it's the important part of it. I mean, I think it's this, because you can run away from... If it's not family, you've got the idea it's not my problem. But but clearly, um, AJ's character of, uh, of of Matt has been saving up this moment because clearly the events happened. He's not gone to visit him, and now he's turned up because his missus has said, "I think we should." It's the holidays, and then they're trapped by not just the sense of duty, but the scale of it. <laughs> yeah, I just don't. I just don't think the characters would know what to do. Um, I think it's such a an interesting circumstance that it's like, well, shit, and now they're kind of in it, you know. Mm. And also, what's interesting, what's interesting is that, the, and it's a, it's a it's a very subtle thing that happens, but and I won't be, I won't, don't worry, I won't, I won't sort of take take a part of your piece of the film, but there's a significant part of what happens in that opening sort of salvo is is that that Karen, the wife, is the kind of sort of less sympathetic, non-believing character. In in, in a horror film trope, usually, the man is the cynic and the woman is the feeling person who who wants to work it out and get to the bottom of it. Whereas she's just like, this isn't right, this isn't, this is all, no, 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 we need to get help, this isn't ours. And that distance between her and um, Steve versus Matt and Steve, who are siblings, is, is evident in that initial crisis. Definitely. So one, um, Karen played brilliantly by Susan Burke. Mm-hmm. She, I I always wanted her. I mean, it it for me it it feels natural that she's the one that doesn't believe it because she has no like specific like emotional attachment to Steve beyond that being her husband's brother. Mm. Like for her, it's like oh you know oh shit this guy this guy has done something terrible and you know we need to deal with this. And for Matt, it's just kind of like well you know. 
maybe not that way. Um, and so, you know, she, she definitely, and I, I liked, <clears throat> I wrote Matt to be kind of wishy-washy where he, um, he, he sort of flips sides, you know, he never takes up a, a stance and I think AJ really pulled that off. Mm. Um, <clears throat> AJ, AJ kind of has a very, um, he, he likes to play characters that I, I would say are kind of, well, you know, I mean, he's, he's good at playing characters that I would say are kind of irreverent. Mm. that um and i think that matt as a character just doesn't want to deal with the hard stuff you know he um he basically ducked out on the fa- on steve when the going got tough and now that it's getting tough again he's kind of like well you know and he sort of flips back and forth between um you know believing his brother and and kind of going with his wife so i i wanted on either end of him, the two, the two characters, Steve and Karen, to just have like very uh, defined roles that mm. you know ca- they can switch, obviously, but um, they they are very like firm in their belief. No, sure, because obviously the other thing is is that again in that opening sort of ten minutes or so, I bet you if you I bet you if you could have just took Matt to one side and said, "Do you want to go home now?" Then he'd have gone home, but he was only there because Karen had made him anyway. Yeah, so, exactly. So the sense of duty is more to his wife than his brother. And even though his brother's being odd as hell, he's still, yeah. he's still leaning on his wife as his reason, almost like a passive-aggressive stance. It's only you know, like the wishy-washy, flip-floppy side of him that dis- becomes decisive in different parts of the story for, for, for obvious reasons when, we get, when they get there. But yeah, in those opening bits, he's kind of like, yeah, if you, you know, I bet you if you'd, have, if you'd have took him to one side and said, hey, do you, want, do you want to go home now then? I know you've driven for three or four hours, but... She's he'd go yeah fuck it exactly exactly you know he just he basically just wants to like spend his Christmas eating and drinking and you know yeah you could see you could see in the way that Steve's running in his house it ain't gonna be a fun holiday is it no no <laughs> yeah and, and you know they they show up unannounced and the places you know it's their family home and it's just in complete disarray and Steve's running around even from the get go you know with like weapons in hand like something something is wrong yeah. And I just think that Matt's the kind of person that just like doesn't want to deal with it. And he he's he, in in my mind he's there because Karen made him go there. Mm. I like. I mean, one of the things that's really strong about the film for people for people listening in it's it's that it it's never reduced to silliness. It's it's you know clearly Steve believes what's going on, and oh, and, and Matt yeah. and Karen don't don't turn the don't play the kind of patronizing or anything like that it's really seen as a tight situation because what you imagine is in the cellar you know even if it's not the devil there's something in the cellar so you've got a serious problem to solve it's um it's interesting because actually the script was considerably more serious i'd say mm-hmm. and um we actually tried to find like a like even even if it's a very light vein uh, we tried to find a vein of humor, and I think AJ really brings. I, I feel, for me, anyways, I feel like Matt and Steve feel like brothers, and that the second 
you know, Matt gets there, they, they're immediately, they start like to pick at each other. And I, I think there's, there's a, like a vein of comedy there. It's not, you know, it's not jokey, but it's just. Oh, no, no, I don't mean there's not, there's not reverence and irreverence towards each other. Yeah. And, and I firmly believe that they were brothers the way they perform. It's like, it's those, those bits, even when he's not with him, where sort of, where Matt's necking from the whiskey. And basically, you can see without him saying a word, he's going, the fuck am I going to do now? Yeah, exactly. He he's just all over the place, and it. Uh, I I think that so much of that works purely mm. because, um, AJ Bowen and Scott Poitras, beyond just being incredible actors, they are, are have been best friends for a very long time, and they know each other, so they basically are brothers. So okay. they know how to do that you know they're constantly even while we were on set like aj would was constantly picking at scott and um okay so real so, so real shared history and therefore shorthand that exists even outside the film yeah exactly now scott now i was gonna say because scott scott's a big fella and i think that and uh, you know he's not he's not obese out but you know he's a he's a big set guy and therefore that obviously dispels any sense of vulnerability it's like He's in trouble because he thinks he's in trouble, not because he can't handle himself. Yeah, yeah, it definitely, um, it, it definitely, they, he's an intimidating presence when he wants to be, which is funny because Scott Poitras, the actor, is like the nicest teddy bear of a human being I've ever met in my life. Do you know who he reminded me of, and I don't, hopefully this is a compliment, is uh, Brett Gelman. One, I think Brett Gelman is fantastic mm. in Stranger Things. Um, especially in season three, mm. he's he's absolutely hilarious in that, and and I can see that. I think Scott um, Scott plays a very like incredible like tortured character, mm -hmm. and and Steve had to work as as this sort of tortured character that you know kind of hold himself up and is just living in it, and it it was so crazy because when I when I first met him, you know, he was. He was so friendly and so concise that when he got to set, and it, he was he was on set for two or three days before we started shooting, and um, he when we we finally got time to or got to the time to uh, roll his first scenes, he just like clicked into it, yeah. and he was Steve, and it terrified the entire crew. <laughs> uh, we we actually just like forgot to call cut because he he did this scene. There's a scene about midway through the movie where he is basically um, threatening AJ and Susan, and um, yeah, he just that was his first scene in the movie. Uh, if you know the one I'm talking about, mm -hmm. uh, in the kitchen, and he went from being this like very you know very friendly, very jokey guy to just like clicking into this like terrifying presence, and ever nobody was expecting quite that, and it it was like whoa, okay, shit. You know, and uh, yeah, it's it it just was amazing, and he he just he plays unhinged really well. The the location you've got is that was that all sets or is that a real location you were shooting in? No, it was just it was just a house in in my hometown. I um yeah, I had as I was writing the script, so I wrote the script when I was living in London. Mm -hmm. Um, and I I. Basically, I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be able to find, because I, I knew I was going to come back here hmm. to Wyoming, and I was like, I, I'll probably be able to find this. And I came back to, um, 
just to hang for a little bit. And I, I remember wa- just walking around my hometown, just trying to find anything. And I, I came upon this, this one house and it, I was like, huh, I think that this house will probably, cause it had the kind of architect architecture that I was like writing for. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was like, I think that this home will probably look at least similar to how it is in my mind. Um, so a couple months go by, you know, I keep refining the script and I eventually approach these people and they give me a tour of their house. Their house was exactly, I mean, 100% to rooms, to kitchen, to whatever, exactly the way I had written the script. Did it, did it freak you out at all, that, that oh. kind of realization? Yeah. Oh no, it was, it was, it was extremely interesting to just like have this thing in my mind and then walk into the house and have it be almost Exactly. Like I, I had to change nothing. Um, so, you know, rooms, uh, hallways, you know, back staircases, it, it was all exactly as I had sort of imagined and as I had been writing, which made, you know, shooting there incredible. So t- talking then about shooting, obviously, if you are using a real house, then you haven't got the ability to remove walls and take ceilings out and stuff. So what was your conversation like with uh, Bryce Holden, your cinematographer? Obviously, after you told him, don't nick the film if IRS are after you. Um, what was, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> what was the, what was the <laughs> you, When you got him to sign the other contract, which is, I want the rushes every day. Um, <laughs> uh, what was it about the, about the look and feel and what you could achieve with, with the constraints of shooting in a real house? So basically I, Bryce Holden is my, is my best friend okay. and, um, yeah, sorry, there's so much activity in my house. Um, Bryce Holden is my best friend and we have, we've worked together for about five years and, um, we had just sort of been, we had kind of made this sort of mumble core romance thing. We just like kind of went out on a whim and, and shot it and. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just piecing it together and we're, we, we liked it. It, it was basically an exercise in whether we could work together. Okay. It's a good way of doing it. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, it, 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 we didn't have a script for it. So it was kind of, it was kind of rambling and we, you know, it's, it's very beautiful. It looks great on a reel. Mm-hmm. And, but we want, really wanted to step into something that was a bit more, um, you know, like narratively driven. So when I wrote this, you know, I went to him, I was like, look, I think I want to make this feature and, um, his kind of immediate concerns were, well, you know, I mean, this is, you know, it's one house. So how do we make this sort of visually invent inventive? And we, um, we ended up like watching a lot of like Richard Deacon's things like, uh, especially like prisoners. And then I'm a huge like Baba fan and especially his film planet of the vampires, Okay. which really like, you know, it, it, it's just a very colorful movie. And so we were trying to mix this sort of like gritty, this like gritty look with um, just like ultra like saturated colors. Mm-hmm. And we just wanted each room in the home to feel like its own environment. Like it, um, it kind of, they all have their own kind of um, like, it's like their own biome, you know, like each room in the entire home has a, a different look. And it has a kind of a different cam, not different camera style, but um, different color temperature and, and a different palette. So as you were moving around the house, it was it was never it was never boring. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because again, I'm just thinking of like like the bedroom where um, where Matt and, and and Karen are staying. Now I might get this wrong now, but as I remember it talking to you now, it's like we always see that room from almost like the, the same perspective of the room looking out of them being in it, as opposed to looking in the room at them in it. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like the the basement is like cast completely in 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 this sort of like dark red. When I'm going into it, my first thing was uh, we were just like, we're gonna make this movie dark. It's gonna be extremely dark, lighting wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, what I can't see it on my iPad. I can't, and it's like we didn't make we didn't make it for that. I watched it to be seen in a theater or you know on a television set and mm. so we we lit it to just be like really dark i wanted it to feel like the characters were kind of like inking into their surroundings and like you know the basement that that is steve who's this massive kind of 90 or early 90s conspiracy theorist um you know that's his like that's where he's he's taking photographs and basically there, there, there was a little bit that got cut where he was basically, he was basically rear windowing his neighbors Hmm. and he was, he was basically spying and like watching his neighbors at all, at all times. Um, but yeah, and it, it just, we just tried to play around with it and like make each, each, each scene feel not just like a scene in a film and more like a set piece. Yeah, 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 and it's it's that thing. I mean, one sort of really sort of it's it's sort of really ordinary, but at the same time, it, 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 when when the shots held and the beautiful symmetry of it is, there's a there's a conversation that goes on for quite a length of time between um, between Karen and Matt, and it's in like a it's it's in the the archway. So you've got the white frame of the wood archway. You've got the wall color going off to the sides, and a bit of cupboard coming in from the left and right of them. But they're in the center of the screen, talking in profile. And it's sort of that, that kind of photography feels really big, even though we're contained in a house. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. It, I think, I think the film feels more than just, you know, a bunch of characters in a house, purely because of sort of the like visual identity of each room. Mm. I think that there's like a lot of kind of a, a lot of different nature to everything, and it. I think it's kind of. I don't know. I think it's just interesting to look at. Um, it also it also helped that when I have incredible actors like AJ Bowen and Susan Burke and mm. Scott Poitras and um, Chris Sullivan and Jocelyn Donahue, who could pull off these scenes in you know one shot. I, it's like, all right, look, I'm putting the camera here, and we're gonna push in, and you're gonna do the entire six page scene, and you know they would just crank through it, and um, it was it, it, it was just. It's a testament to their acting ability that, you know, we got to, when we filmed this movie in like nine days, so it, uh. No, really? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was not, it was very, very little time, and, uh, yeah, it was a giant pain in the ass, but, um. (laughs) But actors that could do six minute bits, and you're like, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we do, we do three takes of it, and it's like, okay, cool, well, we just cranked out, you know, a tenth of the script, um. And yeah, no, they they were fucking integral to the movie actually getting finished. Because if if I had needed to, you know, continually like adjust performances, you know, more than just small beats, uh, I yeah, we'd still be there filming the movie. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so it it was just it was it was remarkably like helpful 
because they were on it. They knew the characters they were playing. They knew the story and they knew that and we were just we had a tone on set and that was the tone that we were shooting with. And it just it all came through. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of the film. What was the um, what was your thoughts with um, and, and I mentioned this to you in, before we were arranging to do the podcast because um, I, I I'm I'm amazed at how much fear you created in me just by slowly pulling in on a basement door that's 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 you know saturated in a, in a red pinky light. A lot of it was just like just taking taking the time and like going t- taking each scene a bit slower than i think you know i think my instincts were to to go and it just creates this like palpable kind of stressful atmosphere and um it's like in in a way it feels like time stands still when we're in the basement compared to when we're upstairs yeah and i really like it's crazy because i don't think i can take credit for for very much for for i basically just put a bunch of really talented people in a room and then i got you know, a movie that sort of blew my expectations. I, I I think I can take very little credit for it being as sort of effective as, as I think it is. Okay. Um, I, a, a lot of that is, you know, sound design and my cinematography and, you know, the production design and the acting. Like, I I basically had the least to do with it being like that. Um, and I think all the people that I hired just, they're so good at what they do and they all worked so well together that it was just, you know, it just created this well, okay, thing. Well, go on then. So tell, so from when you, so you, the bit you do control is you wrote it on the page at the very least. And the other bit you control is you get the right people in. So for sure. in terms of something like the intensity of what is essentially looking at a cellar door with, sorry, looking at a basement door in a cellar that is essentially over time of the film, slowly but surely, becoming a fourth character in the film of its own accord. Even yeah. though, and a lot of it is just like, what the fuck is behind it? Um, and is there anything <laughs> behind it? And is he, are we ever going to see what's behind it kind of thing? Is constantly, the ref- I mean, for me as an audience, that's my, that's my experience. But, but obviously, you, you, you've, you've talked about your cinematographer and, and, and what, you, what, what you were trying to achieve there. So then you edited this film as well, didn't you? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you edit. So, so obviously you 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 worked with your sound designer. So what what about those moments? Then were you and the sound designer thinking, what do we do? What what real sound do we need? What emotional sound do we need? And all that kind of stuff. Because that's that plays a part. Because silence of of like quiet, almost like you know, akin to a mumblecore movie, and then the loud sort of orchestra of the visceral. That, that makes us, that reminds us all every time it happens that we are watching a horror film. So, you know, keep paying attention, everybody, please, kind of thing. Um, <laughs> what was your conversation like with, with your sound design then about when you're in the edit about what, how you're going to make those shots work so that the, you know, we, we watch so much with our ears, don't we? It's a weird thing to say, but we do. Oh, the sound design is was totally its own character uh, throughout the whole movie. Mm. Um, and we, we worked on it forever. The edit, you know, man, I just, I, I don't know if I'd do this in the, in the future, but like, I just gave myself a lot of time to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, um, we shot the movie in January 2017 and it wasn't locked finished until January 2019. Okay. So, you know, for a year there, I was just like, think, I was thinking, and it wasn't necessarily just sitting in the editing bay, like editing scenes. It was a lot of time like spent thinking about it. 
you know, I go to the gym or I go on a bike ride or I, you know, go on a walk or I go to my job and I just would think and think and think and think and think and think and think about how I wanted these scenes to play and what I could do. And then, you know, we get into editing and try to put it together. And But then when it came time to do the sound design, I mean, we worked on the sound design and uh, my sound designer, his name is Michael Archaki. He did, um, he, he also did Graham Skipper's uh, sequence break. Oh, wow. Okay. And, yeah, and I actually saw Sequence Break at Fright Fest in 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I remember I just I, – I saw about five movies at Fright Fest in 2017, and um, Sequence Break just stood out to me like it, – it was just it was just such a cool, interesting movie. Mm, and so I reached out so. to Graham. Yeah, yeah. I reached out to Graham and was just like, hey, man, like it, what was it like to work with your sound designer? And he was like, he's the best. And I spent, you know, oh man, we, he started, I handed the movie over to him in May. Yeah. In May, 2018. And he worked from May, 2018 until December, 2018. So can just for the lay person listening in, what's, what's the conversation like between a director and a sound designer about, about or, or from the sound designer to the director about what it is we're going to do here i think in this two second interval we need a click 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 but like a good one you know something that's scary right. but that but that for nine months <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it, i mean we i literally i i i was of such a thorn in that guy's side who he's the nicest guy but i you know i would i would i would be playing um a game, you know, I remember I was playing, uh, Bioshock mm. and, uh, you know, I would be like, there's the sound and you know, it only happens when this happens. I'd like record it on my phone and send it to him and be like, find this sound. And he's like, I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're talking about. There's like 500 sounds. And I'm like the clicking one, you hear that. And then he'd come back to me with like 50 options and I'd go through and I'd find it and we'd send it in and he'd be, he'd be like, okay, well let me do my thing with it. And then He'd send me a new cut and I'd watch the cut and like he would take that little sound, you know, from this reference on this yeah, phone yeah, yeah, yeah. and turn it into something just like really crazy. And we really wanted we wanted to have the film to have just like a full stop, like like never ending palpable sense of dread. Hmm. And um, I think a lot of times with movies like this, like the the instinct is to just go quiet with it and make these films, you know, have not like a lot of sound and you know i i love i think the comparisons are uh just when people say you know this reminds them of house of the devil because mm -hmm. i i want i love house of the devil two both of two of the main stars of house of the devil are in this um and uh but like that movie is so quiet and it builds tension that way and i didn't want to do that i wanted to do the exact opposite i wanted i wanted to like I wanted you to be able to like cut the tension in the room with a knife and it just like the sound is another character. Mm. And if I, I don't know if you ever can, but like if you get the chance to watch it in a theater, it, it is insane. It's just like bombarding. I, did, I was, I mean, I, I, I tried as best I could. I'm wired up to uh, Gale, Gale four floor standard speakers in my setup at home. So I did, okay. I, I did hurt myself with what your sound you produced. Um, yeah. It, it, it's it's just it's like a it's an assault and I, well, and I was going like to say it remind, it reminded me of um, as the score I mean not just the score but the, the overall feel of um, 
some of the some of the noisier moments of um, Mandy. Yeah, uh, it, it, yeah, that's that's a good one or a good like comparison, I, I think. Um, that, but also, weirdly, um, you 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 don't borrow them because you've not took them from anywhere. But it, there's a, there's the, the sound that it's same same composer actually, Johan Johansson. Uh, the 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 noise of the uh, military people going across the border in Sicario, that whole yeah. kind of like a tank coming over the hill sound. I don't I, I don't know what that means, but I know me. I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. And it, then that that also comes back onto Ben Lovett, my composer, mm. whose score is just like so evil mm. and so um, it's it, it there's. It's not a coincidence that, you know, you bring up Sicario, um, because his score for Prisoners was one of the ones that I, I sent Ben. Mm. There's, um, the score for Prison, I think Prisoners might be my favorite Denis movie. It, it, it's just haunting. Mm. And, um, we really, like, I love bass and I love these, like, thundering, like, mm. you know, bring me back to Inception. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we worked really hard to just make, we, because of the, because the movie is so small, you know, it's a couple characters in a house basically, you know, talking about what evil means, you know, in, in the world. But I wanted it to feel so much larger than that. You occupy the sort of the negative space, which is obviously beyond the house, by, by, by the sound that the movie makes. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it, it just, you know, the end of the movie sort of opens it up to a kind of a bigger world, and um, and the sound design opens it up to a bigger world. It feels like this is a, this is like a monument, for, for me anyways, it feels like this is like a monumental event, you know, I mean, it's I not. Mean, I was going to say, because so, for, for what what essentially is like one of the scariest versions of I Dare You, I Double Dare You. In terms of what's being contested or what's being trying to work out between three people, one of which is firmly believing the other two need convincing, is that what I loved about where we end is that you land us in a place of logic that is that is wholly surprising, and like you say, it opens up something else. Now, well, so I wouldn't wouldn't dream of, um, of of revealing what that is in this podcast, but it's 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 hidden in plain sight i mean would you and and they, which makes it all the more powerful the way that you build us to that point because it's almost like you've you trick us with a lot of the film in a sense as to what's going on because we're having to believe steve yeah i i always wanted to you know i wanted to kind of obviously play on that like is it is it not mm. sense but there's a certain point in the movie where i just like i like to, I like to kind of give people the answer because then it kind of it kind of goes into that Hitchcock thing of well now you're all just waiting for the explosion um, and and it definitely uh, I, I like what I like when character some characters know things that other characters don't mm-hmm. and and they know like firmly um, you know what I mean yeah no because because you because in a way you, you you manage even though it's a confined space. You still manage through the drama, not through just sort of you know the convenience of your script. You you through the drama, what's going on? You manage to split them apart almost, even if that's emotionally, not physically, all the time. So that Karen is in a different position as the movie moves on than when she walked in the house, which means that her relationship with Matt fragments in a way that when it started, it could never have done. 
And exactly. that all lends the mystique and the the thing that you're waiting on experiencing. You're like, right, okay, which is down to that? Which is down to their own frailty <laughs> and their own sort of madness and so on and so forth? It's not it's not all clear, but it kind of it is like little fireworks going off. Yeah, and it just takes all these characters and basically like it takes all of their character, these characters and sort of tests their belief and sort of pit, pits them against each other. Um, and that was the, the movie was originally titled, titled A Man in the Dark. Hmm. And for me, because for me, the movie is never about this person that may or may not be the devil. That, that, that he was just a character that sort of like set this sort of larger issue between the family off. Hmm. Um, because if like it it's really about Steve and his family and you know this other character is sort of peripheral and um is sort of the instigator of the entire thing. So uh, let's t- so let's tell people then when can they see the film at Frightfest? It is playing on Saturday the 24th at 11. And that's in Prince Charles Cinema Discovery 2. Yes, yes, Prince Charles, which is cool. Uh, when I lived when I lived in London, the uh, the Prince Charles was sort of my it was my haunt. You know, I just go there. I would go there almost every day, to be honest. Um, uh, me and my girlfriend would just we'd watch everything, and so it's kind of cyclical um, to uh, now be having a film play having a film play there. It's 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 kind of crazy. Are you going to get to return to your uh, city of recent years? Oh yeah, yes, I, I will. I will be there. I am so excited for this. It is. I'm also excited to see. There's so many like cool films they're playing mm. that I just. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I'm. I'm. There's some good stuff. I'm really excited to see Bliss. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.